Amen. What a wonderful testimony of God's word in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, though you die, you will live again. What a great, wonderful way to sing the Lord's words back to him that we ought to bring praise and honor to the Lord as we worship him through song. I brought a, a book today called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's by one of my professors, Donald Whitney, and it's a, a great work on the topic of personal spiritual disciplines. And I wanted to read you part of the table of contents where he lists some personal spiritual disciplines. Uh, the first one is Bible intake, reading and understanding God's Word, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, Silence and solitude, journaling, learning, perseverance. And the last one is fasting. Of all of those different personal spiritual disciplines, as Christians, we tend not to fast. We see in the Bible the reasons for fasting. We see fasting done by God's people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there seems to be some kind of disconnect between us as Christians and the process and the activity of fasting. So today I want to look at and set before you not only what fasting is, not only the biblical examples of people who have fasted, but also some reasons that we ought to fast. So my hope is that between now and when we're finished, you would see that as Christians, we ought to be fasting. And if you've never fasted before, it's also my hope that you would participate in that very biblical activity of fasting. As you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us clearly from your word today. Lord, we pray that we would be hearers and doers of your word. That as we look at this very practical topic that you've given to us and that you've given to your people, that it would be something that touches our heart, that we would see the purpose and the reason why you have given fasting as a, a means of growing closer to you, of aligning our hearts to you. Lord, we thank you that we live in a country that is free. We pray that you would protect our country and our people. Lord, we also pray that you would protect Christians around the world. Lord, we worship in freedom, but that's not the case for many Christians around the world who meet in secret, in homes, with drawn shades, and under candlelight. Lord, we know that there are many Christians around the world who meet in caves, hiding from authorities, with fragments of the Bible. Lord, we ask that you would protect and bless those people as well. Lord, we pray for the leadership of our state and of our nation. Lord, first of all, for their salvation and their repentance, that their hearts would be turned to you. Lord, we pray that you would protect those who are on the front lines of serving us in fire control and flood control, or for the police and military who are willing to risk their lives for our safety. Lord, we thank you for 
the people of our church who are willing to go out and spread your good news to their friends and to their neighbors. We pray for effective ministries and their families. Lord, for our missionaries that we know personally who are around the world doing your work in countries that are difficult. Lord, we pray that we would today not only know that those are our people, but we worship together as one body, as the universal, the worldwide church of God, worshiping you, different countries, different languages, but all worshiping one God. So Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that we would see your word, that it would be bright like a light, that the scripture today we read will be illuminated, and that it would shine brightly into our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Jesus, continuing on the Sermon on the Mount, says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The last couple of weeks, we have seen Jesus talk about giving in a hypocritical how not to give, and then in a how to give. And then Jesus said the same thing about prayer, to pray not like the hypocrites do, but here's the process for praying. And then today, how not to fast as the hypocrites do, but how to fast. The contrast in each of those, giving, praying, and now fasting, is where the heart's desire is. Does the heart desire public praise, or does the heart desire the praise from God? The hypocrite loves the public praise, and the pure heart devoted to God seeks God's praise. As we look at fasting, Fasting is the idea that we are denying ourselves something good in order that we might be drawn to the Lord, that we might align ourselves with God through the process of self-denial. With that idea in mind that we are denying what our body and our hearts want and then turning that time to God— the idea of fasting needs to have a purpose. There are a lot of ways to fast. We have to fast sometimes before we do blood work. 
We have to fast sometimes when our doctor tells us you sometimes need a juice cleanse or intermittent fasting. I don't know, whatever the latest thing is that is probably a healthy thing. But biblical fasting has a biblical purpose. And that purpose is to change us. Biblical fasting is not designed to change God, but it's to change us. God will not change his mind because we fast. God's will does not change because we have fasted and asked him to change his will. But what fasting does is take God's will, which is perfect and pleasing and has been set before eternity, and it takes the perfect will compared with our very imperfect desires, our imperfect will, which is often squirrely, and it brings our will into alignment with what God's will is. Fasting takes us and denies what we desire and says, I desire something more than food. I desire God's will to be done. So fasting brings us and turns us to draw us closer to God. That's the purpose, is that we would seek God in our fasting. As we draw closer to God, our attention is on God and not the thing that we are lacking. And that's a hard thing to differentiate. When we're fasting, we're hungry. And so we focus on the hunger. But in fasting, the purpose is not just self-denial. It's not just to see how long we can go. The purpose is to turn our hearts to God. So yes, we feel hunger. And then we let that hunger drive us back to God. That the hunger would turn our hearts back to God and align us with him. When I was younger, my parents liked to play a game they called freeze out. And in the middle of winter, when we were driving on the freeway, they would roll all the windows down and we would embrace the cold. I don't know why, I guess it was just fun, but they would just roll the windows down and we would just freeze for a while. Eventually we'd roll the windows back up and we would have a timer that said how many seconds or minutes we had endured the cold before somebody broke and said, I'm too cold, roll the windows up. With fasting, we embrace what's uncomfortable, but instead of just doing it for our personal desire to see how long we can endure, we embrace what's uncomfortable for God and God's glory. We embrace being uncomfortable so that we can draw ourselves to God and embrace what God has for us. Jesus talks here about hypocritical fasting. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. What they would do is they would take ashes and they would put ashes on their head and you've seen a woman cry wearing mascara and you've seen mascara run and it was kind of that same picture. As you're walking by someone fasting, you could just look at them and see a dirty face and unkempt hair, and you would know they were fasting. These hypocrites that Jesus is talking about would do just that, and then they would be out in public, and everybody would look at them and say, wow, you're fasting. You're so righteous and pious, and you're doing such righteous things. Jesus says, don't be like that. 
So much so that the early Christian church had this series of writings that were instructive on how to live as a Christian in the 100, 200 uh, AD time period. They called it the Didache. It was the teachings. And so much did these new Christians want to separate themselves from the hypocrites that the teaching to the Christians said this, don't let your fasts coincide with those of the hypocrites. The hypocrites, they fast on Monday and Thursday, so you must fast on Wednesday and Friday. It was just different. You know, but they, they didn't want to be seen as hypocrites. The hypocrites would not wash their faces, and they would visibly look like they were mourning and fasting. That's not our culture. You've probably not even seen somebody just wear all black for months and months. A couple hundred years ago, if you saw somebody wearing black, that means someone died. They were mourning. And often women would wear black for months and sometimes even years in their mourning. It was a visible sign that they were grieving. But today we don't do that in the same way. We don't put ashes on our head. We don't have that same type of fasting and grieving. But the same principle applies. If what we are doing is for the praise of others, then we're doing it with a hypocritical heart. And I think the danger for us is not so much the outward, but the heart that wants to just give little hints that, that I'm giving and I'm praying and I'm fasting and, you know, the heart that wants to kind of just let other people know that they're doing those things without actually saying, I'm doing these things. That's our modern danger. Let's keep going and let's look at a few biblical ideas of fasting. And there are certainly many others. These are just kind of a sampling of some of them. The first and most common picture of fasting that we see in the Bible is for repentance of sin. In Joel chapter 2, the people need to fast and repent of their sins, and God tells them, when you do that, I will forgive you. In Leviticus chapter 23, we see what's called the Day of Atonement. The people have been given by God this day for them to fast. And God tells the people of Israel, this is a day you will fast in remembrance that God is atoning for your sins, that God is the one who is paying for and taking away all of your sins. In repentance of sin, fasting is a very appropriate thing to do. If you sin and you are trying to show to the Lord that I am serious about my repentance of this sin, fasting is a good way to do it. You take time, you separate yourself from something good, and you embrace that which is uncomfortable, and you say to the Lord, you are more important than food. I care more about repenting of this sin than I do eating. Repentance of sin is by far the most common reason for fasting in the Bible. Another very common reason is mourning. A deep sorrow, a loss, almost always in the Bible. It's used when someone has died. We see that in 1 Samuel 31. King Saul and all his sons have died. And so the people of Israel, they fast for seven days, mourning the loss of their king and all of his sons. 
There are some times that fasting during mourning is just a natural response to grief. You might have known someone who inadvertently just began fasting because of a loss, because of heavy grief. You might have been in a hospital with a wife whose husband is terminally ill, and she says, or you, you ask her, how, you know, when have you eaten? And she doesn't even remember when she ate. You know, there are times that such deep sorrow causes us to forget the things of the world and embrace what is right in front of us. Fasting biblically is the same thing where there are things and there are situations in life that are so much more important to us than even our daily needs like food. Fasting during mourning is a very biblically appropriate way to fast. Another one is the plea for justice. We see that in Esther, specifically Esther chapter 4, when a wicked king has said he's going to kill all of these people, a genocide against a certain group of people. And Esther goes and she says to her people, let's fast and pray that the Lord might stop this genocide. It was a plea for justice. I think in terms of Esther in that type of situation, you know, Esther was kind of on the front lines of that. She had a big problem, and she told her people, we have a big God. She can't solve these problems, but she knows that God can solve these problems. I think that's a picture of fasting, that I have big problems that I can't solve, but I have a big God who can solve them. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to say, I will go without food. I will go without so that I can beg of the Lord to deliver me from whatever the situation is. Big problems that require a big God are times that we should be fasting, that we should be seeking the Lord in fasting. Another is to seek God's will, to discern the will of God. In Daniel chapter 4, Daniel fasted and prayed, asking the Lord to give him his will, not knowing what the Lord wanted to do, but knowing that Daniel could not discern God's will on his own. He prayed and fasted and asked the Lord, help me understand what your will is. Fasting to ask God to make his will known to us is seen throughout the Bible as well. And the last one is a commitment to God's service. In Acts 13 and Acts 14, the elders and the people, they fast and they pray, first to ask God to show them who God wants them to commission into ministry. And then secondly, they see in Acts 14 that they are fasting and praying to send people out into the mission field. They fast and they pray for their safety and that God's will would be done. Seeking God's will and then con confirming God's commitment into his service is another biblical way that we see fasting. So there's many different ways in the Bible that we do see fasting. They always have an explicit purpose. Purposeless fasting is never found in the Bible. We don't ever see someone just wake up and they decide to fast one day and then later they just stop fasting. 
There's a purpose. If it's not specifically listed, it's that they devoted themselves to time of prayer. When we fast, there should be a purpose. Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 58 and turn with me. We'll stay there for a minute. In Isaiah chapter 58, we see this picture of God's people who are fasting with their outward actions. They're not so much fasting in their heart with the right intentions, but they're fasting outwardly with their actions. Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 1. Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So this is God speaking to Isaiah. Tell the people their transgressions. Tell the people their sins. And here's what God lists. They seek me day after day and they delight to know my ways like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Now, if we take that in its, uh, in its context and just say, this is the condemnation that God has against his people, let me read verse 2 again. Listen to see if this sounds like condemnation that these are wicked people to you. They seek me day after day. They delight to know my ways. Like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgment. They delight in the nearness of God. The phrase that sticks out to me is, they are like a nation. It's as if they are a nation that does what is right. They are not a nation that does what is right. But they are like a nation that does what is right. Because they in their outward actions, are seeking to please God. Their outward actions are ones that look righteous. They look like they're doing the right thing. They're fasting on the outside. They're covering themselves in ashes and wearing sackcloth, which was what, was what God had prescribed for them to do when they're fasting. And they are like a nation. But the difference is for them, the religious activities were not the same as a devoted heart. Having an attendance is not the same as devotion. Being present is not the same as a heart that is present. And what God is telling them is the outwardness of what you're doing seems to be right. And then they respond to God in verse 3. They say back to God, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you have not noticed. They put all their cards on the table and they say to God, this is why we fasted. We fasted so that you would see. We fasted so that we could get something back from you. We fast so that you will do. Their intention with fasting is to manipulate God into doing what they want. Here's how serious I am about you doing what I want, that I'm willing to fast to get it done. God has already seen their heart. God has already known that they are an arrogant and wicked people. And now they are just admitting it. We fasted, but you didn't see. We have denied ourselves, 
but you haven't even noticed. What they're telling God is, we did the religious activities, but you didn't give us what we wanted. We rubbed the lamp, and the genie didn't come out. The end of verse 3, God talking back to them, look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all of your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. God tells them, in your fasting, you're abusing and oppressing the people that work for you. You're fighting and attacking one another. Your fast is meant to devote you to God, and your devotion is to beat each other up? Your devotion is to abuse the people that are working from you? That's your fast? Their religion was separated from their relationship. They had the religion, the outwardness of what it looked like to be a nation that followed God. But that's where it ended. It ended with the activity and the outward look of it. They had no relationship with God. God continues in verse 5, will, I, will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Which all of those things were what God said. To deny himself, to humble himself, to wear sackcloth and ashes. That's the outward sign. If they're doing the outward sign... That's a good thing. But then God continues in verse 6. Isn't this the fast I choose, the heart, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set free the oppressed, to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? See, true fasting, God is telling them, is to separate yourself from what you want and turn to God. What God wants from them is for them to embrace and show mercy to those who are hungry, to those who are poor, to those who are naked, to share their food, to share their home, to share their clothes, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood, to give of themselves to the people that are in need, to show mercy to them as God has shown mercy to his people. What they were told was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In their religiousness, they wanted to do all the outward actions. They did not want to love God. They did not want to love others. They wanted just to have this sense of we are doing these things for God, and God will do things in exchange for us. God tells them, if you do what I am telling you to do, then verse 8, then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, if they repent, if they turn to God, if they hear his word and are merciful to the poor, they stop oppressing their servants, they stop beating each other up. 
if at that time when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. When the outward actions stand alone, God condemns the outward actions. When the outward actions are paired with the heart that God says, this is the heart you ought to have, then the Lord will answer. Then you will hear him say, here I am. The, the picture of fasting is that it's not about us. It's about the heart that we have for God. Fasting is us turning away from ourself and turning to God. Denying ourselves something good. Denying food and saying, but I'll be hungry. And God says, yes, you'll be hungry. But then you'll do things for me? No, that's not how it works. So then why am I doing the outward things? That's the heart that the Israelites had, and God tells them, do the outward things, along with the heart that turns itself to God. And at that time, the Lord will answer, and he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and the malicious speaking, and you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like the noonday. When the heart matches the fasting, we have biblical fasting. If we have fasting and not eating food, we have a hungry person. A hungry person that's fasting for God's purposes and saying, I am setting aside what I need so that I can turn my heart to God, so that I can align my will to God's will, is when we see biblical fasting. And Isaiah 58 has that whole picture. The people want to do the outward actions alone, God says, it requires your heart. If you participate in fasting with your heart, that's where they meet God. That's when the Lord will answer and he will say to them, here I am. In Matthew 6, Jesus has the expectation that his followers will fast. Like the last two passages, whenever you fast in verse 16, verse 17, but when you fast... These are spiritual disciplines that, as individual Christians, we should be doing. Fasting with the intention, the purpose of drawing near to God and turning our hearts back to God, seeking his will, asking for his deliverance, that is what God is looking for. We see that throughout the Bible in many different ways. Fasting also must have a purpose. Purposeless Fasting serves no purpose. When we fast, we have to say, this is why I'm fasting. I'm fasting, and I would say pick a purpose, not all of the purposes. You know, if you want to devote yourself to prayer, be it prayer. You can pray for all kinds of things. If you want to fast, though, fast for a singular purpose and keep that purpose in mind. The hunger that we feel when we fast reminds us of the purpose. That's the point of having hunger, is that it reminds us of the purpose of our fast. One of the reasons is back in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. It's a reminder that God provides for us daily. One of our missionaries, Jim Lildegren, 
has said to me a number of times, what are you praying for that only God can do, and when he does it, he gets all the credit? What are you praying for that only God can do, and when he does it, he gets all the credit? God provides for our daily needs. So what do you need? What are your needs that you can take to God in prayer and in fasting and ask him for? Because if it's within God's will, he will do it. If it's not within God's will, then you should also be praying as Jesus prayed. I don't want to do this. The cross is torture. Take this cup from me. But not my will be done, but your will be done. So we pray for what we desire, also asking that the Lord's will would be done because it's better than ours. We seek the Lord's will more than our own will. Charles Spurgeon said, When your will is God's will, you will have your will. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. It's that idea of aligning our will to God's will. Another purpose of fasting is for self-discipline. That the inward heart is controlling the outward sinful nature of our flesh. Paul talks about beating his body into submission. Not a physical beating of the body, but the picture of his inner self is controlling what his outer self is doing. To stop the outer self from sinning, he beats back and holds back. I think for us, we often have lingering sin. For most people, if you are asked to write down the one sin that plagues you, that is hard to get rid of, that's a good thing to go to the Lord and prayer and fasting. Say, Lord, this sin that so easily entangles me, I don't want. I don't want it in my life. And you fast, and you pray, and you ask the Lord to deliver you from that sin. I think of James 1.14 a lot. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. His own evil desire. Your evil desires are different than my evil desires. And we all have that sin that Satan uses to entice us. So we go to the Lord in prayer and in fasting. Help me know how to avoid that sin. Help me know how to flee from temptation. Help me know how to resist. It's a good reason, a good purpose for prayer. Another reason, another purpose for fasting is the salvation of a friend, healing from God, a special purpose of some sort. Something is needed that is beyond your control, beyond your ability, and so you go to God in fasting and in prayer for a special purpose. We skip breakfast, you skip lunch, you skip dinner, you skip second dinner, it's definitely a thing. And you say to the Lord, I'm willing to give up literally what my body needs for this special reason. 
You know, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. A good special purpose for giving up food is for the salvation of your children. You know, you, you just stop eating and say to the Lord, I'm going to commit this to prayer. I want my children to be saved. I don't want my children to be in hell. And the first day is the hardest. So you don't eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Days two, three, and beyond are much easier than the first day. If you commit to fasting for special purposes, for specific things, your heart is right. The outward action is self-denial. I'm going to deny myself so that I can have what the Lord wants me to have, so I can do what the Lord wants me to do, so I can pray in the, Lord, the way the Lord wants me to pray. If you haven't done that, I would say that special purposes are probably one of the best purposes to pray or to fast. And then one of, with almost every fasting, setting aside a time to pray. It's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 5. Fasting turns us away from the earthly and turns us to the heavenly. It gets our mind off of what is before us, and it turns our hearts and our minds to what will come, to what is to come instead of what has come. The last one I have, and certainly not the last purpose for fasting— there's many other purposes. But I think a good reason to fast is simply to appreciate what God has done. To thank the Lord for the many blessings. Just to fast and appreciate your salvation. To appreciate what Christ did on the cross. You know, we're coming up on Easter. It's a great time just to remember what the Lord did. On Friday, we celebrate Good Friday that Jesus died on the cross. On Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. So many things that we have that are provided directly because of what Jesus did. Fasting is a good reason just to stop and thank God for the things that he's done. And fasting is not easy. That's part of the self-denial is saying, I know this will not be easy, but I'm willing to embrace what's not going to be easy for something that will be better. When humpback whales have a baby, the baby humpback whale is born at 10 feet long. There's no hospital, there's no midwife or doula. No, no other humpback whales are like assisting with the birth. This giant humpback whale mother is just out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and she's like, there you go. And this baby humpback whale eats 100 gallons of milk a day. A giant 10-foot baby, 100 gallons of milk a day. And the humpback whale mother will fast for six months 
because she needs to be in the warm, safe waters. And there's no food in the warm, safe waters. So she goes without eating for six months. Certainly we can go without eating for a couple days. We can't let the whales beat us. We, we can do it. It's hard for the mother, I'm sure. That's part of fasting is recognizing that this is difficult, that this is hard, but there's a purpose. There's a God-given purpose that we turn our hearts to God, that we spend time in prayer, that we're committed to this purpose, and we're seeking the Lord's will. Now, I found it interesting that in these three sections, give in secret, pray in secret, fast in secret, all three of them have a lot of things in common. One of the things that they have in common is if you do those things in secret, God will reward you. It doesn't say what God's reward is. It's somewhat vague, just the generalized idea that if you do these things in secret, God will reward you. And then Jesus goes right into money. Verse 19 through 24, all about money. Is that correlated? That if you do these three things, that God will reward you and God will give you money? The short answer is no. But the long answer, let's read verse 19 again. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So fasting sets aside our earthly desires for heavenly good. We say, I'm not going to meet my physical earthly needs for a heavenly purpose, for a godly purpose. If we're only focused on the earthly, you can work more hours, you can get more money, and you can lose it all overnight. You know, a couple of weeks ago, banks collapsed. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, that happens on earth. In heaven, there's no FDIC insurance because it's not needed. The earthly purpose The heavenly purposes are heavenly in nature. Fasting says, I'm denying myself the earthly to focus on the heavenly. There was a treasure hunter named Mel Fisher, and he had a saying. Every day, this treasure hunter said, today's the day. And he needed to because for 15 years, he would say, today's the day. And they would go out off the coast of Florida, and they would chart areas that they were going to go back and forth and ping the ocean floor with sonar and look for anything that looked different. If they saw something, they would stop the boat, and they'd get on their dive gear, and they'd dive down and pick up a rock and be disappointed and get back in the boat. And so to keep momentum, every day he said, today's the day. And they would go out, not believing him, I'm sure, because for 15 years, he would say, today's the day. But then one day, today's 
was the day. They sonared the bottom and they saw something, so they dove down and they found what they believed was a Spanish cannonball. Exactly what they had been looking for. It had long been rumored that a Spanish ship carrying gold and jewels had crashed off the coast of Florida and then they find a Spanish cannonball. So they dive back down and then they start finding gold. $400 million worth of treasure just off the coast of Florida. The Spaniards took all of their earthly treasure where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and boats lose it to the bottom of the ocean. All of what we have on earth will someday be in someone else's hands. For the Spaniards, it was Mel Fisher. Later, Mel Fisher found their treasure. The problem is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Fasting separates our earthly desire for our earthly treasure and says, my treasure is no longer on earth, my treasure is in heaven. In fasting, we're reminded that the true treasure is not on earth, it's in heaven. The promise is greater than the present. What we will have is greater than what we do have. The things of earth being temporary, the things of heaven being eternal. And fasting separates those things and says, I no longer need what is temporary. I fix my eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. I'm willing to give up what I need and what I have in my treasure and put my treasure somewhere else. Because if we're serving God, then we're not serving man. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Since he, he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We all choose what we serve. The things of the earth or the things of God. Nobody serves both. If you're fully devoted to one, then you're not devoted to the other. Fasting identifies those things that are of the earth and says, I can give up those things. Jesus says, what you do, do it in secret. When you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. And then you will have your reward. What is the reward? How do we fast and give and pray in secret, seeking a reward, but not knowing what the reward is? This may sound strange, but I think the reward is found in the Lord's Prayer. Look at verses 9 and 10, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think the reward that God is offering to the person who has the heart 
that desires to give for God's glory, to pray for God's glory, to fast for God's glory. The reward is that you want what God wants. That you desire the things that God desires. See, when we want what God wants, when we love what God loves, when we seek what God seeks, when our will is God's will, your will be done, man, that's a reward. That's a reward being able to say, I've set aside the things of the earth. My will is God's will. Whatever your will is, is what I want my will to be. My heart is aligned with God's heart. My desires are aligned with God's desires. My treasure is aligned with God's treasure. I no longer treasure what everyone treasures. My treasure is not here. My treasure is in heaven. That is the reward. Having a heart that seeks after God, having a heart that is aligned with God's heart, that in itself is a reward. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we treasure the things of earth, we have to have the things of earth because we've committed to the things of earth. If we treasure the things of God, we no longer need the things of earth. Fasting is a continual reminder that I no longer need the things of earth. The very basic necessities of food, I no longer need because I would trade those sooner for the things of God than anything else. My treasure is not in these things. My treasure is where my heart is. Fasting loosens our grip on the things of the earth so that we can hold to the things that God has for us. Letting go of the things and pressing on toward the prize. That's the reward that we have in giving and in praying and in fasting in secret. Our heart's desire becomes what the Lord desires. Let's pray. Lord, may we be people who seek after you. People that have a desire that is your desire. Lord, we pray that we would take serious the idea of fasting. That we would commit to you all the days of our life, all the things of our life. That the treasure on earth would hold no value to us compared with the eternal glory and the weight of riches that we have waiting. Lord, may the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Lord, we love you and pray that as we exercise our spiritual disciplines that we would not forget this one, that of the three things that Jesus talks about being one of them. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.